0: Hi, this is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is from across the pond. We're here every week at this time promoting Red Letter Christianity. If you don't know what that's all about, go to our website, redletterchristians.org. We are people who have an evangelical theology but don't want to call ourselves evangelicals anymore. We believe the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the people who wrote the Bible and were guided to stay away from error, and the Bible is, for us, the ultimate authority for faith and practice. We believe in the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed. We believe that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. We believe that the same Jesus who walked the streets of uh, Jerusalem and Nazareth and the roads of the Holy Land, the same Jesus who was crucified, dead, and buried, The same Jesus who was resurrected from the grave and after 40 days ascended into heaven is back among us. He's here spiritually. Wherever you are, He's right there with you this very moment. And if you're willing and if you desire, you can invite Jesus to invade you. You can get down on your knees. Maybe you don't have to get down on your knees. You can be sitting, you can be standing. I don't care. I don't think God cares, but what God does want is for you to open yourself up and say, Resurrected Jesus, please invade my life, becoming a living presence within me. I want your spirit to possess me and to transform me from the inside out. That's what a person believes if he is in the evangelical theological camp. I am in that camp, but I don't want to call myself an evangelical even though I believe those things, because here in the United States and now increasingly in the United Kingdom and in other places in the world, evangelicalism has become identified with some political ideologies that we think are unchristian. We are not allied with Donald Trump. Those of us who are red-letter Christians are not allied with Donald Trump. Uh, we raise very serious questions about his beliefs on immigration. Um, we find that uh, 14,000 people being held in, I don't know what else you would call them, uh, except concentration camps along the Texas border because they uh, are uh, immigrants without legal papers, uh, that this is not a good thing, that children put in, in wire cages. Have you seen those on television? This is not a good policy. Uh, we don't think calling these People who want a piece of the American pie, uh, evil, is a good thing. Uh, we, uh, we're concerned about uh, policies where uh, tax laws are written uh, to give tremendous benefits to the rich while taking all kinds of benefits away from poor people. Is the will of God. We believe in a Jesus who prefers the poor, who says, blessed are they who are poor. I know what you're going to say. That's not what he says in Matthew, the 6th chapter, 5th chapter, 6th chapter, 7th chapter. In the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the, 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 those who are poor in spirit. Yeah, that's what it says in Matthew. Would you go to the book of Luke and look up the Beatitudes there? In Luke, it says, blessed are the poor, period, and woe unto you who are rich. As a matter of fact, if you go to 1 John, you'll see the preference of Jesus for the Poor people of the world. He loves everybody, but he has a deep concern for the poor. And he calls upon all Christians to respond to the needs of the poor and tells us that as we respond to the needs of the poor, to those who are hungry, to those who are thirsty, to those who are oppressed or in prison, uh, for those who are aliens, who are immigrants, look at those people, look into their faces, look into their eyes you'll see Jesus staring back at you. I am in them, and whatever you do to the least of them, you do to me. Read that in the 25th chapter of Matthew. The last several verses of that chapter will pick up the theme that I have just articulated. And so that's what Red Letter Christianity is about. We're about saying we are not with Donald Trump and uh, those who espouse that prosperity theology uh, that, in fact, identifies Jesus as preferring rich people over poor people. We believe that he loves all people, but he has a preference for the poor, and he suffers with them, and he calls us to identify with them. That's what red-letter Christians believe. It may not be what you believe, but it's certainly what red-letter Christians believe. Go to our website, redletterchristians.org. There's a place where you can sign up and say, I want to be a red-letter Christian. The term red-letter Christian comes from the fact that some of the old Bibles had the words of Jesus highlighted in red. The letters of, uh, were highlighted with red letters. And so uh, uh, we began to call ourselves red-letter Christians because we take the teachings of Jesus seriously and are endeavoring to live them out as radical as they are. Uh, please note, please note that uh, the words of Jesus are radical. If any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself Sell what he has, give the money to the poor. Read Mark ten, and you will see that that's exactly what Jesus said two thousand years ago. You want to be my disciples? Then in fact, sell what you have, give the money to the poor, and take up the cross and follow me. And unless a man or a woman deny self and elevate me, he's not or she's not worthy of the kingdom. You say this is radical stuff. It's more radical than you think. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Uh, he says "Thou uh, that Moses created certain conditions under which you could kill. But he said, I don't create those conditions. Uh, killing is not an option for Christians. Um, and, uh, and yet Christians here in the United States who go by the name evangelical, 80% of them identify with a president who supports capital punishment who in fact is moving us towards war in Iran. Uh, I'm scared when I think of where we might be uh, if he gets reelected. And may I point out that most of my friends in the academic world believe he will be reelected. Let me say that strongly. Um, The most intelligent observers of the American social scene will say we're going to vote for, people are going to vote for uh, Donald Trump and he's going to win the next election. And uh, you say, wait a minute, um, we find that uh, 42% of Americans, when polled, say they disapprove of Donald Trump. Yeah, that's the truth. They do disapprove of him, but they're going to vote for him anyway. You say, why would they vote for somebody that uh, they disapprove of? And the answer is quite simple. I talked to one a very fine Catholic man just the other day, who said, I despise Donald Trump. I think his lifestyle is, uh, is contrary to everything that Jesus is about. But having said that, he again goes on to say, However, I have stocks and bonds. And under his leadership as President of the United States, the value of my stocks and the value of my bonds have increased dramatically. One man said to me, every time I open my stock portfolio at the end of the month, I find that I'm fifty to sixty thousand dollars richer than the week, than the month before, and you want me to vote against that, and I my response was yes, there are things that are more important than, uh, than how much money you're making on the stock market. There are things that are more important than that. Uh, I I think that uh, being pals with dictators and uh, affirming dictators while you turn your back on our former allies is is not a good thing we 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 think that the way immigrants are being treated is not a good thing that there are families that are being separated at the border they they are arrested when they come across the border illegally and the children are taken away from them there are hundreds of children that have been separated from their parents and uh, the government will admit we don't know where they are now somehow they've gotten lost in the system can you imagine that can you imagine that and uh, these are some things that scare us. So we started this movement called Red Letter Christians. So if you don't want to call yourself an evangelical, even though you have an evangelical theology, evangelical belief system, an evangelical belief in the scriptures, but don't want to call yourself an evangelical because it has too much negative baggage these days, why don't you start calling yourself a Red Letter Christian? Go to the website. There's a place where you can sign on and identify yourself as a red-letter Christian. You say, wait a minute, I don't want to put my name down on that list. We need you because it enhances our viability as we talk to the television stations, the radio stations, uh, to the newspapers. They say, how, how strong is this red-letter Christian's movement? And we say, well, uh, here are the numbers. The numbers are not as high as we would like them to be. And I meet people all over the place that uh, say, I'm a red-letter Christian, but I just don't want to sign on as one. We need for you to do that to uh, enhance our viability and our legitimacy. Uh, Let me just say that uh, the church uh, is an interesting body of believers. Whenever people put down the church for all of its weaknesses, And, uh, man, I point out the weaknesses of the church almost weekly on this show. For all of its weaknesses, for all of its shortcomings, I still believe that the church is the primary instrument of God to do God's work in the world. And I still believe that the church is the primary instrument through which God is changing this world from what it is into the kind of world that God wants for it to be. There's some things that have been said about the church that I think are brilliantly receptive. St. Augustine, the great saint of Catholicism, and for Protestantism as well, because I, I think uh, Protestant theologians would say that before there was Protestantism, uh, there was St. Augustine, uh, and uh, both Calvin and Luther were Augustinian monks, followers of Augustine, and got their theology from Augustine, to a large degree. St. Augustine once said about the church, here's the phrase, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. What a great statement. The church is a whore, but she's my mother. Do you recognize the genius of that statement? In the beginning of the statement, Augustine is saying the church is a whore, recognizing that it has not been faithful as the bride of Christ. It has not been a faithful bride of our Lord and Savior. It has not been faithful in what it's done. Over the years, it's been very unfaithful. Sponsoring the Crusades. Uh, sponsoring in, in, here in the United States, in many instances, capital punishment. Uh, sponsoring programs uh, that have, in fact, hurt the poor and enhanced the rich. And so the church has not always been faithful. In that respect, the church is a whore. But the next part of the statement is redeeming. The church is a whore, and then he says but she's my mother. What a brilliant thing to say, because you wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for the church. It's the church that has preserved the scriptures over the years. It's the church that has maintained uh, the beliefs of the apostles down through the ages. It's the church that has been primarily responsible uh, for leading you to Christ. The uh, church has kept the story of Jesus alive, propagated it around the world it is the church that has conducted the missionary efforts that have evangelized throughout Africa and Asia. The church of Jesus Christ may in so many ways be unfaithful to its, its master, its, its husband, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, it has been the primary instrument of God for changing the world. Here's another statement. Um, it's by uh, Mark Twain, uh, a great uh, American novelist who referred to a man who was a church member, he said, that man is a Christian, and then he added, in the worst sense of the word. What an interesting statement. That man is a Christian in the worst sense of the word. You know exactly what he meant. There are some people whose Christianity uh, makes them into pious, holier-than-thou individuals who have condemnation on others who are not in their ilk. You know people who go to church and uh, look down in a condescending fashion on anybody that isn't exactly where they are uh, in, in the faith. Uh, you know people who uh, hold up their personal piety as a badge of spirituality. I got to tell you, uh, Jesus was not particularly uh, religious in the sense that a lot of people are. You want to know who had the worst testimony in Jerusalem? It was probably Jesus. You said, what do you mean by that? Read the Bible. This is what they said about him. This is what the religious leaders of the day said about Jesus, the Jesus who we know is perfect, who never sinned. They said, quote, he's a wine bibbler. He's a glutton. He's, a, he's a, an alcoholic person. Uh, he's, he's drinking all the time. He's, he's, he's. And then he, they added, and he hangs out with prostitutes. He makes his friends the people who we would call sinners. He runs with the wrong crowd. He drinks with the wrong people. He's a glutton. He's always, every time we look at him, he's eating. Check the Bible. Every time you come across Jesus, and when he sat down to have dinner with his disciples, when he was eating, he said this. When he was eating, he said that. So he didn't have a very good word around town. They basically said of Jesus, he's a blasphemer. The religious leaders of the day did not look kindly on Jesus. Uh, The truth is that uh, uh, we need to face the fact that very often uh, religious people uh, do a disservice to Jesus. And thus it is Mark Twain who said about a man he knew, he's a Christian in the worst sense of the word. I hope you're a Christian in the best sense of the word. I hope you're a red letter Christian. Go to the website, redletterchristians.org, and find out what that means. A red-letter Christian, taking the words of Jesus seriously, living out the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi once said, Everybody knows what Jesus taught, except for Christians. What a statement. Everybody knows what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, except for Christians. I don't know whether you know this, but in the beginning of Gandhi's movement to liberate India, from the domain of the British Empire, he went throughout India. And uh, everywhere he went, people gathered around him. Before he started a speech, do you know what he did? He read, word for word, the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, my movement is about living out the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he became a pacifist. That's why he uh, refused to use violence in promoting the liberation of, uh, of India from, from uh, the British Empire. Uh, his was a revolution that was calling upon people to use nonviolence as they protested against injustice. And, of course, we know that Martin Luther King, here in the United States, took his teachings about nonviolent resistance from Gandhi, a man who, in many ways, lived out the teachings of Jesus, as given in the Sermon on the Mount, more perfectly than most Christians do. I don't know whether you went to see that movie Gandhi. It was a very famous movie uh, more than a decade ago. It's still available on the Internet, so if you haven't seen it, see it. There's a movie called Gandhi, which goes over the movement. And I want to tell you, uh, when you come out of that movie, you're beginning to say, who's a follower of Jesus? Me or Gandhi, uh, he he might have become a Christian, except that the church treated him badly. Before he came to India, uh, he lived in South Africa. I don't know whether you know that. He was born and raised in South Africa. And one day, he thought he would give Christianity a chance. So he wandered into a cathedral in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. He sat on the last pew and off to the side. And he was going to listen to the service and see if there was something here that he should embrace as a faith, as a belief system, as convictions that he should espouse. And while he was sitting sitting there listening, an usher tapped him on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, but you'll have to leave. Colored people are not allowed to worship in this sanctuary. And so he ushered Gandhi out of the cathedral. He'd come to hear about Jesus, and he was ushered out of the cathedral. He writes later on that poor usher. He thought he was ushering a colored man out of a church. In reality, he was ushering India out of the British Empire. Whoa, whoa. He came to realize that until India was free from this kind of thinking, uh, it it could not be a people with full dignity. And then there's my favorite theologian philosopher, Saren Kierkegaard, uh, a Danish theologian of the uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. Saren Kierkegaard, um, who wrote, among his many writings, a book entitled An Attack Upon Christendom. And in that book, he says this. If you mean by Christian what Jesus expects his followers to be, then you would have to say that in any given generation, there might be four or five. Whoa, what a statement. In any generation, there might be four or five people who could legitimately be called followers of Jesus if you mean living according to the words that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. If you think that that's an exaggeration, go and read the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters of Matthew and ask yourself a very simple question Am I living this way? Have I, uh, in fact, uh, turned away from all material goods and espoused Jesus? uh, I'm always intrigued with St. Francis of Assisi. And some scholars have called him the last Christian, the last man to fully espouse the simple and radical teachings of Jesus and endeavor to live them out. And when the uh, Crusaders said that the uh, Muslims are our enemies, Francis goes to be with the Muslims and lets them know that Jesus loves them and that he loves them too, and is opposed to the killing of the Muslims by the Crusaders. He was a man who espoused love for animals. Uh, He's considered the ultimate environmentalist, and that he had a great reverence for nature. Read his poetry, uh, and uh, you'll find that he loved nature as few people in history ever have. A follower of Jesus to the nth degree. Well, that's enough for today. We're running out of time, and I'm here to say uh, that uh, uh, I'm Tony Campolo, espousing red-letter Christianity. I want to again affirm that uh, this is something that you need to take a good look at. The face of the red-letter Christian movement is um, Shane Claiborne. He usually does the show with me, and if the show is a bit inferior to its usual level, uh, it's because he hasn't... Been with me the last uh, couple of times, uh, and I've had to do this show alone. He enhances the show dramatically. Shane Claiborne wrote a book, which I think is one of the great books of the 20th century among Christians. It's called The Irresistible Revolution. If there's one book you need to buy, this is the book. Uh, Go out and get it. Uh, The Irresistible Revolution. Did you get the name of that book? If you have a choice between buying one of my books and buying that book, don't buy my book. Buy Shane Claiborne's book, The Irresistible Revolution. Everywhere I go, I meet people who are radicalized into a, an intense commitment to following Jesus after reading that book. Uh, he shows what it's like to live out the radical Jesus in the heart of a slum area of Philadelphia, the city where he lives even to today. Uh, I'm glad you listened in today. I hope you continue to listen to the show. You can write to me. My name is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is from across the pond, but you can write to me at TonyCampolo.org. If I said some things with which you disagree, write and tell me about them and tell me why you disagree. I'm winding up the show and saying goodbye, and I want you to know that uh, uh, you are my friend, even if you don't feel like my friend right now. Incidentally, I teach at Eastern University. It's a Christian university here on the outskirts of Philadelphia. A magnificent campus, voted one of the 10 most beautiful campuses of universities in this country. Um, We have a variety of good programs, but one I'm pushing right now is a program in microeconomic development. We're trying to train people to go to developing countries and start small businesses and cottage industries that indigenous people can own and run themselves. Because only that way, by people running their own businesses, can people escape from poverty, not for a day, not for a week, but for the rest of their lives. Blessings on you. Know that you're loved by Jesus. And when I meet you, you'll know that I love you too. God bless and have a good day.